Welcome to episode Who Knows What of the Campus Comics Cast. I am Scott Reed, and I am joined by... Mike Atchison. And Chad Schubert. This is, of course, the Campus Comics Cast, the official podcast of Muddy Monster Comics, located at 1422 Walnut Street in Murfreesboro, Illinois. And the reason why I do not know which episode this is is because I have lost an episode. Wah, wah. I, need a, I need a sad trombone sound there. I should have been prepared for that. <laughs> so is. apparently, yeah, apparently we recorded an episode um, where we talked about Black Adam and then we talked about Secret Invasion. And I did not get it downloaded from Skype before the 30 days expired where they delete the recordings. So my bad. I uh, lost that episode. Now, that being said, they're probably... If we're going to lose an episode, that maybe was the episode to lose, because yeah. I don't think any of us were super excited about Black Adam or Secret Invasion. But I thought, well, we can take a couple of minutes and give some real, real quick thoughts and maybe go ahead and rate them for anybody who hasn't seen those or read those. Uh, so I seem to remember that Mike had the most to say about Black Adam. So, Mike, why don't you give a 30 second, you know, spit out what you thought about Black Adam. 30 seconds, uh, hey, what time you need. Or, give or take. Yeah. I know it's okay. So, uh, I know enough about the DC characters that I was fairly critical of the film. Um, I mean, I think there was some quality to the filmmaking, but the, the, uh, characterization of black Adam, um, there were lots of, missteps i think with it uh this the use of amanda waller i think one of my biggest issues was that uh even though i loved seeing the jsa seeing hawkman which is always a great visual and that was a great actor aldous hodge it played him had the right characterization characterization the idea that amanda waller had um was sort of the puppeteer of the jsa um, and this, you know, to go after um, Black Adam was off the mark by quite a bit. Um, I mean, it was it was kind of like a mindless romp through. Um, it was like a comic book. It was just it wasn't real deep. It was uh, kind of fun to watch. But then again, if you look too hard, if you squint too hard, you can see the mistakes. Um, overall, I, I, I think uh, in our lost episode, I gave it a six point five fine plus um and i think most of that's due to the the movie's visual effects not really dwayne johnson's uh you know characterization of black adam so not an oscar award for any performance <laughs> oh no i mean how many are but i mean it's even on under the standards that we operate under with comic book movies if you were to say that say the avengers or well, let's just ask you guys what do you consider the best comic book movie of all time Ooh. oh Ca- captain america winter soldier okay chad period <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a pretty good one uh, <laughs> uh i didn't expect to be put on the spot i'm sorry i mean it, 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 you're not going to be held to it you can change your mind tomorrow all right um no I, I, winter soldier is really it was is really yeah. solid yeah yeah. I would agree. Although I like the big, big stories. Sometimes I liked Avengers Endgame. I like Superman the movie, uh, or the uh, the motion picture. So if you put those as like tens or as you know, gem right. mint, whatever, I think that is our bar. Whereas right. you know, they're not. None of them are really necessarily going to be um, 
receiving Oscar nominations. Maybe some for some part of the movie, but no. right for right. special my effects, is, maybe or something. Yeah. My point is, our scale is just a little bit different. Shad, what do you, what were your quick thoughts on? Uh, quick Adam? thoughts. Uh, pros. I really liked uh, the way that we jumped into a lot of things like. We just had mentioned Inth Metal. We, you know, Hawkman, Dr. Fate were just in the world. There wasn't a lot of backstory, origin stories to that. So that was definitely a pro that we feel like we're in a in a in a section in time where we can start uh, comic book movies without giving a bunch of backstory to things. Uh, I was into the twist uh, where spoilers, uh, you know, Black Adam was not the hero. It was his son. When we find out all of that, I thought that was a cool for me twist uh, to to that because uh, I didn't see it coming whether that was part of the original origin story or not uh, that was just like oh that I didn't see that happening mm-hmm. um, you know things that I felt were a little bit weak were like the I feel like the human element the relatable characters of the mom and son were really forced upon us in in this story um, and the uh, and just the third whole third act of a big giant CG monster again was just like okay here we go again um and uh we it would have been good at a probably an hour and 40 minutes ending where they gave black adam to amanda waller put him in the underground underwater prison and then credits and got out of there and set up for a sequel that way i think that the disappointment wouldn't have been wouldn't have stung so hard if it was only if you were in there for less than two hours you've been like oh that was that was okay and then set it up for the next but uh i i think I, we might have all given a 6.5 on this one this might have been the one that we all agreed on it was uh, real close i think i think yeah. we were all in the six or seven range so right yeah like, uh, i don't remember yeah. what my rating was <laughs> right yeah but that was that was about it. a couple of pros but mostly cons um i think <clears throat> my view of this movie was a lot higher because after having set through the disaster that was thor love and thunder I mean, and most of the time I would complain it's just another comic book movie. No, nothing different about it. Nothing special. I wish I would have said that was the best comic book movie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> just... We would have never gotten to the rest of the episode. <laughs> but after after sitting through that and then seeing this, that made Black Adam a lot better than, you know, what I would have normally rated this movie at because otherwise it was pretty formulaic comic book superhero movie the scenes where it was dwayne johnson playing black adam were pretty good however there were too many scenes of dwayne johnson playing himself dressed as black adam which kind of brought the movie down a little bit dr fate was awesome i would love to see a dr fate film but unfortunately i don't think that's going to happen and i think i was right with you guys i'll just say 6.5 6.5 because that's as good of a rating as uh, any other. And I was so excited about the Henry Cavill cameo at the end. But now that has, of course, been blown all to heck because we know that's not going to happen moving forward. So um, so there you go. All right. Secret Invasion. I'll start because I think we also were all pretty close to the same rating on Secret Invasion. And it was my fault that I suggested uh, this particular story because Ah. of the upcoming uh, series. I didn't, and the big thing was that I did not remember the storytelling by Brian Michael Bendis to be so terribly disjointed. It's just like, this happens, this happens. It's almost like reading it from a Wikipedia um, page. So it was very... You know, it didn't flow very well, jumped around a lot, felt very disjointed. I think I put it in the 
five five or six range as well. Um, I wish I could remember exactly. I was looking for my notes, I couldn't find them. So who knows what I actually graded that one at? But it was um, it was disappointing reading it the second time, especially off after my memory of what happened reading it through the first time when it was coming out on the shelves. Either of you guys want to yeah. elaborate on that or add to that? That. Yeah, the the high points I remember, and I do have my notes. I highlighted, well, I highlighted exact words that you just used. The story jumps about. Um, it's it's kind of why I, even though I was so excited when Brian uh, when when Bendis came over to DC, it didn't take long for me to go. Ah, well, that didn't take long to, for it to get old. Um, the concept <laughs> of secret invasion, I think, is fascinating. You know, where you don't know who's a true superhero and who's, you know, a shapeshifter mm-hmm. bad guy. Um, but uh, the other big point is that I didn't have the benefit when I read this trade to have read all of the ancillary, you know, spinoffs or tie-ins or whatever to give me a little bit more context. And you, without that, it really did seem to be just a Fast and Furious just uh you know you just like jumping from one thing to the other and i was like i am totally lost it didn't help that i didn't know a lot of the characters because it was a a big marvel event but even even if i did i think i wouldn't have been too you know too hip on it and i also i even though i have my notes i didn't write down what my grade was but i would say i didn't probably go higher than a 5.5 yeah all right chad I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, on the, in the same kind of, uh, boat, uh, the, you know, there are just a few pros I, I liked experiencing it because there is a secret invasion show coming down the, down the road. Um, but it, it, that was kind of where the, the cool parts ended, you know, learning a little bit about the scrolls, um, you know, but the concept of them doing this whole invasion for a religious reason, um, and all of that being kind of a, a weird part of the, the, he loves you thing and it being culty and, uh, was just kind of a, an odd, uh, part to it all. Um, it didn't encourage me to like, like Mike said, there are a lot of, uh, spinoff titles or are, are outside of the, the main eight issues of the series and it reading it definitely didn't make me go, Ooh, I want to go read those mm-hmm. other ones and figure out what was going on. Uh, I think the biggest pro out of everything was the uh, I really like the embrace change uh, posters they had in each of the <laughs> issues uh, with like the little like scrolls uh, interacting with humans uh, in everyday activities. Uh, but, yeah, I think I gave it a, a 6.0 uh, and it was only that high because I was like, I'm glad that I have a, uh, a little bit of a source to what will be coming forward. But hopefully in a hopefully better <laughs> I'll just add, you know, because Mike, especially you talked about some of the ancillary titles. One title that I remember that was being really, really good, and I think I talked about it when we recorded this initially, was the Secret Invasion Captain Marvel story, because Captain Marvel, of course, died from cancer in the death of Captain Marvel graphic novel by Jim Starlin. That's a character they've kind of respected that death. So here they're bringing this character back for a four issue series as part of Secret Invasion. And the thing that's different about it is you have this character who the 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 characters that 
have been replaced by scrolls don't know that they've been replaced by scrolls so you actually have captain marvel battling with the fact that he doesn't know if he's a scroll or not am i the real captain marvel am i fake captain marvel doesn't make any difference some of the inner monologue that goes on with that with uh, captain marvel in that series is really really good so that's it's probably it's probably i probably need to read that one again to see if it holds up i hope that right. it would because it focuses in on just one character for four issues and and I don't think you have to even know if you know the basic premise of Secret Invasion, then the rest of the series would actually be pretty good. So yeah, because didn't at one point Captain Marvel just like randomly flies away and like leaves Earth or something right in the middle of the whole invasion, doesn't he? Uh, in the in the eight issues and and like maybe that explains a little bit more about what he's up I to. Don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so who knows? But uh, yeah. Anyway, so, all right. Um, I think the only other news that we've gotten is, of course, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this on the previous episode, but there's been some more information, like the Wonder Woman 3 movie's been canceled. Hmm. There's some people are saying that Gal Gadot is out. Some people are saying that, no, there's not going to be a Wonder Woman movie. She'll still be around for other stuff. I, I can't remember how much this we talked about in the last recording. Do you guys yeah, remember? I don't recall because uh, I feel like right at the end of the last we we did get news of the Black mm-hmm. Adam to cancel or no no future for that. Mm-hmm. I did also hear that, uh, and this is hearsay as well, and in, in the rumor mills of it all, but that uh, Gal Gadot's uh, cameo in the Flash movie has been removed, removed. as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I heard that all of the. The um, like Snyderverse, the Snyderverse characters, their cameos that were supposed to occur mm-hmm. have been pulled out. The the Affleck Batman and the um, Cavill Superman and Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. Well, um, and the Keaton Batman, the Keaton, is the Keaton yeah. Batman still in or not? I heard that was pulled out at some yeah. point. I still can't believe they're even talking about still releasing the Flash with everything else they just that's been going to, on. Yeah. They either need to wipe the slate clean or they need to continue with it. So yeah. Well, they're right. going to have to buy themselves some time because they're, I mean, they got to, if they have something in the can, like the Flash, mm-hmm. I mean, I, maybe they'd like to at least recoup some of that money. Well, they didn't recoup it with uh, Batgirl. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they just, well, lost, that, they was, just ate yeah. that 90 million. So, yeah. And yeah. surely that movie would have made more than $90 million. So yeah. what all do we have on DC side left? We've got the Aquaman 2. Mm-hmm. And we've got Sam, the Fury of the Gods, or mm-hmm. two, and then Blue Beetle is still yeah. coming. But and maybe that's their, maybe they are trying to figure out how to make that their their kickoff. You know, maybe the Blue Beetle is their Iron Man of the new, you know, <laughs> DC. You kind of thing. That's well, they keep that they keep the Jaime Reyes character. He's <laughs> he's not the Iron Man type, you know. Right. He's, uh, doesn't know why he was chosen or how he got this power. He's, well, when I say I just mean like a, yeah. a jump off, like right. a first, yeah, movie like a movie that universe. can bridge yeah. the yeah. two phases, or for lack of a better term, you've got the Snyder phase, which spans so many years, and then you've got whatever's coming next. Yeah. And yeah, I can see maybe having a bridge to that, and maybe that would be the easiest movie for them to use for that. They couldn't use. The Flash, I don't believe, and uh, oh. I don't know. I mean, it's also it's all multi-dimensional type stuff, so maybe oh, they yeah, can be. spin it up to be who knows? turn into Flashpoint, and we'll have the new Fifty Two yeah. movie verse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what we need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, quit worrying about it. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. So let's hope let's talk about something that I hope you guys actually enjoyed. 
Um, so if you hated this book, this is my fault. So uh, we're <laughs> going to talk about a couple of things in this episode. Uh, first is the 23 issues, 24 if you count the zero issue, of Demon Knights. All right, and this was actually a New 52 book, speaking of New 52. All right, and then we're going to follow it up. We're going to talk about a little bit about uh, Black Panther. I keep wanting to say Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, but it's just Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, right? So correct me whenever yes. I say that incorrectly. But uh, we're going to start with Demon Knights. So I thought we'd talk about the characters just a little bit before we actually get into the story, right? So basically who the Demon Knights are, I'm going to read my description here. We have this motley crew of DC characters, including Etrigan slash Jason Blood, of course, created by Jack Kirby, uh, Madame Xanadu, Vandal Savage, Justin the Shining Knight, uh, an Amazon named Exoristos, the Horsewoman, um, Al Jabbar. They are all forced by circumstance and location to team together in uh, various situations. I have I, I kind of feel like it's kind of like the Defenders in Marvel. They're the non-team team, like they're not really a team, but they end up being a team together. Is how they're often described. Uh, and several of the Demon Knights, uh, specifically Etrigan, Xanadu, Yistin, and even Vandal Stavage to some degree, have, as part of their past, is centered around Camelot at one point, or at least they're aware of Camelot. And the other thing about these characters is that most of them are immortal as well. I think we technically only have, we have one character that is not immortal or near yes. immortal uh, in this cast. So... Uh, to me, the big character is, of course, Etrigan slash Jason Blood, a.k.a. the demon. Um, Etrigan is um, is a demon that's bound to the flesh of Jason Blood by Merlin. And this, of course, occurred at Camelot. Um, and again, Etrigan was created by Jack Kirby. Uh, Mike, you want to add anything about Etrigan, you know, just from a historical standpoint or? A... Uh, well, I didn't do a lot of you know, refreshing in my memory about Etrigan. It's one character I have not read maybe more than one or two issues of, even though I have, I think I've got the entire Kirby run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember is that his, one of his traits is he's a rhyming demon. And mm-hmm. uh, whether it be because a rhyming demon is on a certain level of a, a cat, a caste system and he's graduated from it or he's been demoted to it or whatever, or some other reason he doesn't always depend on the writer. He's not always a rhyming demon. And in this particular story, he is some of the time, but not all of the, all of the time. But, um, it, the basic premise has been pretty consistent is that he's a demon that's been bonded to a human named Jason blood. And, they neither one have a whole lot of control or complete control of when they get to take over the 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 body. Well, I I always felt like they all they had to do was say the words, and that's when the change yeah. occurred. So the yeah. one that's in hell while the other one is on earth, right? You know, doesn't have any control. They're waiting for the the other to actually just say the words. But I've never understood what was the motivation if. <laughs> If you didn't want to go back to hell, why would you ever call back the demon and say, uh, yeah, come on, I'm ready to go t- do my stint down there again, you know? But again, that's just my lack of, of knowledge on it. Well, in this, and this is fresher on my mind than the original Kirby run, I've read I've read all the Kirby run. I just don't remember all the Kirby run. Um, but here, Etrigan weakened the longer he was away. Right. which is what ultimately forced him to say the words. And that, to go that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember... How Otherwise, Etrigan would just stay on yeah. Earth. He'd yeah. just 
have a heck of a time. There's a really good. I mean, that's one of Kirby's. Oh, that's one of his best things. If you could, what was the full statement? Gone, gone. The form of man. Uh, um, <laughs> something. The demon Etrigan. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that, that you was guys, it. Yeah. I'll find it and I'll okay, recite all it. Right. So next character I'll mention. Unless Chad, unless you had something you wanted to say about Etrigan. Um, I just, I always like my Etrigan rhyming, and when he's not, I just don't know. I'm like, it's just a normal demon. I don't, yeah, I don't know he why he's not rhyming. Something. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. So then you have uh, Madame Xanadu, a former maiden of Avalon, who attempted to stop the Arthurian cycle by recovering Excalibur from the Lady of the Lake. They kind of show the scene where she's diving into the water to try to get the sword, but she doesn't get it, and they never really come back to that. Um, but she is now the apparent love interest for both Etrigan and Jason Blood. And it is not 100% clear which of the two she actually loves and right. who is the cuckold right between the two. Um, they get <laughs> around about that off and on. Um, then you have, but she's also a very powerful sorceress, but her sorcery comes at a great personal price, right? Um, next character you have is Vandal Savage. Now, I know from our, when we were pre-discussing this, you had some things to say about Vandal Savage as a character, Mike. So I'm going to let you take Vandal Savage. Okay. Well, the short version is this isn't, this isn't my Vandal Savage to sound like the fanboy, but giving, giving some latitude to creator, uh, innovation. It's okay, I guess. Um, but as we discussed, I thought I'd give a little bit of a, a rundown on what the history of Vandal Savage, not real long, but so Vandal Savage is one of the longest running DC villains out there. He came, um, came about in 1943 in green lantern number 10. And, uh, but his second and more memorable appearance. In fact, I thought it was his first appearance was in all-star comics number 37. Now you can pull that up if you want. At some point I got a, I think I've got it on one of my tabs here, but that's the cover of All-Star Comics, which, of course, featured the Justice Society. And you've got the Injustice Society carving up. they got like five or six members carving up a map of the United States. Now, let me tell you, I would give my pinky toe probably to have this this issue. But, <laughs> well, maybe my, I don't know, maybe a fingernail, something like that. Um, but anyway, that was his second appearance. And anyway... From the beginning, though, he was kind of depicted as this Cro-Magnon man who gained immortality from a fallen meteor. Um, and he had these pointy ears in the Golden Age, which I'm not sure what that could have been. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe an effect from the meteor. But then what, when he really came of age, no pun intended, he, he appeared in the Silver Age in 1963's Flash 137, which was the second crossover between the flashes of earth one and earth two so everybody's heard of 123 137 which i know this isn't great radio but here's my copy which is a pretty darn good copy of 137 mm-hmm. and um and it was at that point that his whole backstory was fleshed out a little bit more and he was it was determined that he was 50,000 years old not 1 million years old and his original name was vander's adage and after this, he was, I guess that's how they, you know, somehow he spun it around and made it Vandal Savage. But after this became a recurring enemy to both the heroes of Earth 2 and Earth 1, making him one of those few characters that would jump across the dimensional barrier and uh, wreak havoc. So in later appearances, his immortality power expanded 
to being able to heal from nearly any injury. He wasn't just immortal. Um, and here's where you get the distinction between the I'd say call the mainstay or the main mainline um, Vandal Savage to what's shown in the New 52 Demon Knights is that for years, for most of his history, he was depicted as like a conqueror with this genius intellect. He ruled over whole civilizations in the years that he's been alive. He was kind of a refined. I mean, it's a guy had one of those, even one of those little tough collars, you know, that, um, you know, he, he was like a brute and a well-dressed brute. He just uh, living up to that savage name, but he was dressed nicely. Um, and he had all that enhanced strength and speed and stamina, but more importantly, he was like uh, a master tactician. So he made for a good foe. Um, over the years, though, retroactively, we find out in, in Strange Adventures number 177, which I now own, thanks to Scott, um, he gained his uh, his uh, main foe in Immortal Man, who had received similar powers from the same meteor that fell to Earth, except when he dies, he would Im- immediately materialize into a new body somewhere else on Earth. He, he would continue to have the same memories, but he'd be in an entirely new body. So he couldn't really die permanently, except he did in Crisis on Infinite Earth. So <laughs> um, He can't, but he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the Vandal Savage that we see in Demonites is a, a far departure from these previous iterations. He's got the same basic origin you know he's still strong he's still tough but in this series he's kind of depicted as this like a boorish and flippant joking drunk warrior who just is in there for the fight now maybe there's layers below which you kind of learn that in some of the story that he does have some motivations that he disguises pretty well but one thing i typed here was in my notes was that he's more lobo than a cunning conqueror he's just, he's just more out for the blood and the fun and the just rip somebody's arm off type thing um but i need to say though that even though he's on a good guy quote-unquote good guy team in this book he's still a villain and he really only joined the knights out of his own boredom and wanting to you know break that boredom yeah i just my thoughts on it was he was he clearly was very self-serving through the entire story Right. So that's why, to me, it wasn't a dramatic, you know, change from the traditional Vandal Savage. Mm-hmm. But I can definitely see your point. <laughs> There's just a lot. I mean, if you it depends on how much you've read of him in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just but that's OK. I mean, the one thing great about New 52, whether you liked most of the books or not, or any of the books or not, was that. Not to much any of them. <laughs> yeah, or any of them. The, the goal was to do something different without any being tethered to any continuity and i can't blame uh carnell paul carnell the writer um for doing it the way he did it uh next we got yiston the shining knight now this is a gender swap version i think of the original uh shining knight who also of course has ties back to camelot and along with uh, yiston you have uh, yiston's winged horse vanguard now yiston is i would say clearly female in this iteration uh, but is a trying to appear to be male to those around, though we'll talk about that, I'm sure, some as we as we proceed through the story. Um, and Yiston is still questing for the Holy Grail, uh, the mission that Yiston received from Merlin back in their days at uh, Camelot. So I know, yeah. Mike, you probably know a lot more about the history of Yiston than any of us. So once again, 
Yeah, I got a little bit. It's not as much, but I got a little bit written here. Um, the Shining Knight first came about uh, in Adventure Comics number 66 in 1941 uh, as Sir Justin, one of the original knights at uh, King Arthur's Round Table. And he wielded a magically invulnerable golden armor as well as a sword and a shield transformed by Merlin. His mount was called Winged Victory, not Vanguard in the original version. Um, and this this winged horse was given to him by Merlin. And he died, basically. Well, they, they are, uh, he and Victory were buried in a ice avalanche and went into suspended animation captain america style um but about the time captain america went into the ice these guys were coming out of the ice um and he he became a superhero and joined other heroes in the seven soldiers of victory in the 40s and uh then they kind of uh they were they they had their adventures in the 40s and then they weren't seen again until the early 70s in Justice League of America uh, in a crossover with the JLA and JSA in uh, Justice League of America 100 through 102. And basically all this, all of the soldiers were strewn through time and they were all rescued by, uh, you know, the combined efforts. So fast forward to 2005. Grant Morrison reinvented the Shining Knight as a female version named Istin. As and I, I looked up. I know I, I was saying Istin all along, and but the best, I could, closest approximation I could come to the original Welsh was Istin. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that's right or not. But um, I'm sure one of our many um, people that write in will let us know. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> this is when the, the Winged Horse was renamed. Uh, Vanguard, and then in in the New 52 version, which is in this this book we're reading now, um, Istin is portrayed not as a a female, but as uh, either transgender or non-binary or both. It's not really made clear, except there was a it, one of the issues. Sir Istin explains to exist uh, Exoristos, who's the Amazon woman. Mm-hmm. She makes a pass at him. And I say him not knowing exactly what, you know, that's how it's written here, but that he is not just a man or a woman. He is both. Oh. So in my understanding, it's basically non-binary or could be transgender. Yeah. They're not mutually yeah. exclusive. Yeah. No, right. I, yeah. I did. Yeah. Says specifically both, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and I think Exoristos thinks that Yustin is female, not that it's, it's very clear to everybody else from appearance that Yustin mm-hmm. is is female even though Yustin is playing up as oh you don't know or you're, he's surprised i keep and i just said he but Yustin is surprised every time somebody says him or he to right. them yeah. you know or, or her excuse me says her to him because Yustin thinks he's trying to again it's hard and to, this is i mean when you think about it this is before the enlightenment of modern days when there yeah. are new new ways of basically pronouns and and what the person prefers so yeah i, I think that Yuston would probably identify more on the they them now mm-hmm. you know yeah. and 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 is yeah you're probably right mike because falls under the category more of a non-binary yeah. uh, one thing that i would point out is that that clear statement from Yuston occurs in the vendetti in vendetti portion right of yes. this book yeah. not in the cornell portion oh of the story okay so 
it's also possible that it could be Cornell was the one to do something different with the character and Vendetti when he took over, decided to That's go true. a different route with the Absolutely. character. So who, who knows? So, and I, I find, sir, I find the shiny Knight to be one of the most interesting characters on this team. Oh, absolutely. I just, I mean, this is even, I mean, going back, I remember reading Morrison's version in 05, which I can't believe it's been going on 20 years now that that came out. But I remember that being some just groundbreaking, you know, comic writing. So, yeah. But anyway, that that's the two big, that's the only really two characters that diverge drastically from what, you know, what we might be familiar with. Now, those are the four, what do we call established characters right. that existed prior to this. Then we have three new characters. The horsewoman. Uh, she's a paralyzed woman who has a magic saddle that allows her to ride. Uh, she's also able to communicate with horses um, and is, of course, an excellent ar- archer. We have Al Jabbar, who is a Middle Eastern alchemist slash scientist who specifically does not believe in magic. <laughs> and uh, his name is a, is a pseudonym because his name apparently means the numbers if it's oh. translated over. And then, uh, oh, Exoristos, who is an exiled Amazon. And I think everybody understands what an Amazon is. So I think mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot else to say about um, the character. So I don't know, just something from the standpoint of the the characters themselves. Anything that you guys want to add that I maybe you feel like is important to the characters that I've omitted? Chad, why don't you go ahead? Um, No, no, I don't think there's anything. They were, they weren't. Not all of them had really shaped personality, I don't think, too much at the towards the beginning. But as the story went on, and maybe it's as the Vendetti as Vendetti took over, maybe they started to shape a little bit more of of who they were as far as personalities in this team and how they all fit together. But that was when I I think we had talked about this a little bit uh, prior to recording. Was I kind of got confused as who was who, and it wasn't really like visually who was who, but like. They didn't really uh, early on before I'd finished reading. It was just like, oh, they're they're kind of just a crew. And maybe some of them, they was just there's a bunch of people doing magic. Uh, <laughs> but then they kind of they kind of shaped that up a little bit more as it went on. But I, I think all of the we hit all the beats. Okay. Mike, anything else? Yeah. About characters? Well, OK, so I read the first arc all at one time. I was on a plane and I took notes and I'm like man, this is not really historically accurate. And I, I mean, I've read my share of Arthurian fiction and I'm only going to point these little nitpicky things out now so I can go on and show my transition from not being impressed to being much more impressed. Um, so we got, we already talked about the, the difference in some of the characters and how they weren't what I was uh, familiar with, but some of the things like the his, historical aspect, like I said, Cornell, the author, the writer, says that the last day of Camelot was 400 years ago. And OK, that was, that was 400 years before the current time, which their would have present been the Dark time. Ages okay. in the book. So that would have been, if you say the Dark Ages are the 1500s, then the last day of yes. Camelot would have been in like the 1100s. Okay. That's how that's how I and that that makes sense. That makes okay. more sense, um, because the whoever author was based on was he was a warlord or maybe a series of them. He lived around the fourth century A.D. Uh, right at the end of the Roman Empire, and um, 
So it just it just kind of threw me off. Maybe it was just me not understanding, and maybe it was I just didn't read it closely enough or didn't reread it. But it felt like they weren't the timeline wasn't matching up very good. And there were I think that first arc was just like everything we just everything was thrown in. <laughs> And you had to figure out things really quick. It was not. It was just a lot happening, and um, I, I just it, that my gut reaction was that I wasn't impressed. And then I got to the second arc, and I liked it a lot, lot better. This is whenever they were headed to Camelot, you know, and um, they they seemed to gel more as a team. They seemed to have better interactions. Maybe I just maybe there were fewer characters you had to deal with, but um, it was I've I've to- totally changed my opinion based on that. Well, in between the two arcs, you had that issue where it was just the history of um, Madame Xanadu and, 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 and yeah. yeah, right, yeah, right. So, which was the issue zero, if I remember. Uh, that was actually issue eight. Oh, that was, that was eight. Issue eight, yeah. Wasn't issue zero also a history of Etrigan and blood? It's just a yeah. So eight is the story of blood Etrigan, the love triangle issue. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And then issue zero, which was like issue twelve point five, it was between twelve and thirteen. That's just kind of the origin of Jason Blood and Etrigan. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Which yeah. I haven't read yet, so I've read the oh, first twelve. Okay. So, but oh. anyway, I, I I'm, I've come around. <laughs> no, I know I can't. Man, dude, I'm trying to keep <laughs> up. I am trying so bad. Um, but well, I hey, just gonna tell yeah. you now, we're gonna have spoilers. So just, oh, that's fine. That's okay. fine. It's not. <laughs> this is a uh, what a, a 10, 11 year old comic. I I, I have only myself to blame. <laughs> um, okay, so the story. Um, I and I think this is right. The first issues one through fifteen are written by Paul Cornell. Uh, issues sixteen through twenty three are no twenty four. Twenty. Uh, I can't remember what's twenty three plus issue. zero. Okay, yeah. So twenty. So twenty three. Uh, written by uh, Robert Vendetti. Um, we have pencils, various pencilers. I think I have the whole list. We have Robson Roca, Dionys Neves, Mike Choi, Bernard Chang, Chad Harden, and Phil Winslade. I'm not sure I missed any of the artists. I don't think so. No. Um, but that's the the bulk of them. I think, uh, you know, that's so the art style does change up a little bit. I didn't list the inkers or the letters or anything like that. So, all right. <clears throat> So I'm just going to real quick issues one to seven, right? Basic synopsis of those issues. Uh, the demonites come together at a tavern in a small village named Little Spring, which happens to be in the way of an enemy horde led by the questing queen and Mordru. Um, and they're marching towards the city of Alba Sarum. The group, either uh, either with the devious help of Vandal Savage or perhaps in spite of uh, Vandal Savage, is actually able to repel the horde. So there's your synopsis for seven issues. I think that's pretty succinct, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, Mordru, I take as also another character from Arthurian. I don't that's supposed to be directly related to Mordred or not. Because Mordred wasn't so much a sorcerer he as was a warrior. So I don't know if this is a Mord- pre-existing character. Mordred was Arthur's son, mm-hmm. who he inadvertently spawned. With his own half sister, Morgane. But this is Mordrew. Mordrew, right? Mordrew is not, as far as I know, I've never yeah. seen that variation or that name in any of the Arth- Arthurian books. But 
Mardrew in DC is a magician and that's, that's been, uh, that's in the 31st, 30th or 31st century, um, with, that's been a foe of the Legion of Superheroes. Do you remember the Mardrew globes we talked about in the Supergirl book and chased chased her through? It was super fast Mm -hmm. and chased her all the way to the edge of the universe. That's Mardrew. That's the same Mardrew. So he's, he's, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a DC villain, mostly He's been around a while, but he mostly fought the Legion. Do you think this is the same Mordru as I, I think it has Legion? to be. Okay, I think right. it has to be. Yeah. And what about the Questing Queen? Do you think she's new for this series, or do you think she pre-existed? Um, or are you not sure? I mean, there's no name relation to anything I know. Okay. But she could. There's no link to the Questing Queen on. She doesn't have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> That's all we need to know right there. She doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. (laughs) But she makes a good, you know, like the evil queen Mm -hmm. archetype, you know. So, well, okay. So on these issues, I guess different for me than for you is that I was immediately pulled in by these first few issues. Um, It 100% feels like Paul Cornell at some point in his life was a D&D player. Mm-hmm. wrote a D&D campaign or played in the D&D campaign and then liked it so much he says I'm going to turn this into a comic <laughs> book oh DC you're going to let me write a book oh it's going to be in old times oh okay what characters can I use alright and just filled in the blanks you know um, <laughs> it, it just it feels like something that anybody could have had as a campaign and you know set in D&D so uh, I, I yeah. just was immediately pulled into it you know meet at the tavern have a fight <laughs> yeah that's that's fair I mean that's um I mean, oh my gosh, I just totally went on a tangent thinking about the the last, uh, well, not the last, but one of the episodes of the Sandman TV show where mm-hmm. um, the guy that wanted to live forever and yeah, yep. Hobgoblin, yeah. not Hob, yeah. Hobgoblin, Gadlin. Yeah, 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 right. But it yeah. made me think of that that whole scenario you're talking about, Scott, with you know being in a tavern and mm-hmm. in just medieval yeah. times. I like that. I like that scene too. Anywhere you go, I just felt like so much was jammed in that first six or so issues i was like oh my gosh i'm just but again i think knowing now that they're established and i i could go back and read the first six issues and be fine with it well i think that's how we got to know they use that fight as to introduce the characters yeah so like here's the characters and now you're going to get to know them over these seven sure. issues you know as opposed to let's introduce all the characters and then have right. them do something yeah yeah you yeah know? so um i i thought it was a good mechanic to tell a story and to kind of get us into the action without having to waste a lot of time going through origins and how they all got together <laughs> that's true did did either of you read any of the authority or the Stormwatch stuff from wildstorm no i started so, to read the authority but i didn't get very far so there's a character on both that's been on both teams called the engineer and I remembered a couple times in this story, in these 12 or so issues I've read, that um, Al-Jabbar. The Al-Jabbar was referred to as the engineer, lowercase e, but as the engineer. And I thought, well, since this team is supposed to be the predecessor of Stormwatch, I wonder if this is like the, you know, the spiritual predecessor of the engineer mm. that came around, you know, mm. in modern times. But I thought yeah. I didn't know if you guys had seen that or read that. No, I have not. Um, I'm looking up on the DC fandom ouch bar right now and see. And of course, its first appearance is Demonized number one. So yeah. 
Um, it doesn't say any, doesn't mention anything, but that doesn't mean anything. So I just don't think it's going to be over the head that we're going to see that. But I think that it makes you wonder if Carnell was planting little clues somewhere. Right. Well, yeah, because I mean, there's definitely a tie from this book in Stormwatch. Yeah. Uh, so that would that would make sense. Yeah. Now it makes me want to go back and read a lot of that stuff. In fact, <laughs> I've I've only read a little bit of it, but I'd love to read the whole thing just from start to finish <laughs> you know in all my spare time in all your spare time yeah <laughs> <laughs> um all right so then we have um after issue seven we have a kind of a standalone issue issue eight um and this issue i think we already mentioned this explains the origin of the jason blood uh etrigan and madam xanadu love trial a uh, love trial love triangle <laughs> It, love is a trial. There you go. So <laughs> love is a battlefield. <laughs> it's a song, Shad. It's a song waiting to be sang. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at the and I guess really to me the bigger thing is at the end of this issue, uh, we actually see the murder of Merlin, which kind of sets up our next story arc in in this. So it's kind of a standalone issue, but at the very end they kind of set us up for the next. Uh, story arc so um i i, I, mean, I don't have anything to say about issue eight um you guys want to add anything about issue eight i didn't keep notes i just know i enjoyed issue eight quite a bit it was like a good palate cleanser type yep type book mm-hmm. yeah okay so ready to, okay so nine to fifteen uh we learned that merlin actually lived through the attack wasn't actually killed um and the demon knights are tasked with a way to uh, revive him uh, now it is uh, Etrigan who is working against the team instead of Vandal Savage uh, in an attempt to get uh, Hell into Avalon. Of course, Aval- I guess Hell is wanting to expand, so Avalon would be a perfect place for them to uh, to do so. So um, on their way, uh, the, there's this blight that has caused a lot of monstrosities that occur, and the Demon Knights are battling through those monstrosities, which includes a zombie King Arthur. Uh, the team is able to restore King Arthur, um, and they attack Camelot to find that Morgan Le Fay is sitting on the throne. Uh, the team defeats Morgan Le Fay, but in doing so, destroys the path to Ad, uh, Avalon, which enrages Etrigan. Etrigan then entraps the demon knights in hell, but in doing so, he basically breaks the curse that binds him to Jason Blood. So Jason Blood is now free to roam about the country, if I want to quote a commercial. Uh, <laughs> but in actuality, all he wants to do is get back to uh, Madam Xanadu. Uh, however, uh, Jason Blood uh, comes across the questing queen and Mordru again, and they basically are able to force the swapping of places between Etrigan and Jason Blood. So now it's Etrigan that is being held by the questing queen instead of uh, Jason Blood. So the demon knights are able to escape hell through Avalon. So even though they destroyed the initial portal to Avalon, there was a separate way for them to get there through uh, in hell, but in doing so, uh, the door to Avalon uh, remained open, which allowed both the armies of hell and the armies of the questing queen um, to come through. And then, of course, Avalon has its own army, the silent army, um, and they battle and ultimately uh, good prevails. And one important piece that happens in one of these issues, I don't remember exactly the issue is that Exoristus is given a black diamond and is tasked with uh, guarding and protecting that black diamond moving forward. 
So thoughts on nine to 15. Uh, this was where it, this the story got interesting. There were cool parts, and and I really liked the I liked when they all got tortured in hell. That was like one of my favorite parts <laughs> of the whole story. Uh, <laughs> but no, I I did like that that kind of turning point where they were were trapped. That was that kind of sticks in my head about this this series is is uh, them all kind of going through their own torture uh, while Jason's trying to figure out how to get uh get save everyone and uh so that was cool the i don't remember we didn't talk about it but in the the first run but the questing queen even in the first run had dinosaurs right like is that that part of so like this whole book's filled with dinosaurs in in medieval times so Mm -hmm. but this was like demons dinosaurs and uh i don't know another d word damsels in distress (laughs) dragons Uh, dragons dragons too so there you go (laughs) um but no, that I, that's kind of all I've I've got to say about uh, this one. I felt like I I started to understand the characters a little bit more. They were they were definitely getting a chance to develop a little bit more and build their relationships with one another. Yeah, I definitely think by issue seven you should have had a general idea about the characters, and then now actually put a little depth to yes. those characters. So establish the foundation and then build upon that foundation. In yes, absolutely. Mike, you want to add anything about uh, nine to fifteen? No, remember I only read to. Uh, oh, 12. that's right, you only got yeah. to twelve. So, what you want anything for nine to twelve? <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I liked that that story arc was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> it, it reminded me more of the all of the you know the, the all the King Arthur. You know, I like that King Arthur wasn't just a zombie. He he actually you know was was arthur just yeah was arthur for a time yeah um it wasn't just like uh once in future the the book we read not too long ago (laughs) and yeah no i I liked it very much so (laughs) i just know that there's a lot more that i don't know about so i can't speak to we got a lot of lucifer in this story story arc if i remember Mm -hmm. right which i'm i'm always a fan of the the lucifer character uh, and just his conversations with Etrigan about mm-hmm. Etrigan being kind of a, a, a slave to him as well, and and what it would mean for him to to break the rules and and all of that. And a little different, and not the same Lucifer as what we got in Sandman. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So a little bit different there. So yeah. it's it's a, a public domain character. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> even within its own publisher <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't like this lucifer as much as i like the the kind of sam and neil gaiman version of lucifer but uh it's it's nice to have a a, a good bad guy like lucifer <laughs> <laughs> all right so the next block is issues 16 to 19 and this is actually 30 years later right so we have a time jump here so 30 years later, the Demonites are brought back together to battle a vampiric army, uh, making its way to Themyscira. So we're getting some more tie-ins with the proper DC universe. Exorcistus, Yiston, and the Horsewoman um, are brought uh, back together by a now-aged Aljabar in Alwadi to stop this force. Um, meanwhile, Vandal Savage has been holding Jason Blood captive for the last decade. So uh, Jason Blood got to spend a third of this 30 years just being tortured by Vandal Savage. And starved. He has his mouth sealed over, right? Yeah, so it's like that Matrix, you know, scene. Yeah, so um, Jason is uh, rescued by our trio who then find Madame Xanadu. 
they make their way to Themyscira and prepare to travel uh, there when Vandal Savage returns with an army in an attempt to retake Jason Blood slash Etrigan. Uh, the reunited demonites alongside the Amazons uh, battle and defeat Kane, who is the leader of the vampiric army army. But during the battle, Yusin is bitten, uh, which leads to uh, Hippolyta uh, revealing that she has seen and potentially knows the location of the grail. So anything you guys want to add in? Of course, I know, Mike, you won't be able to add very much, but maybe it'll interest you to see that there's a little bit more tie into the DC proper with the mascara and yeah, Hippolyta I, I, yeah. coming up. So, yeah, um, I, I this this whole storyline was. I was very conflicted about it because I felt like the vampires was like, oh, we're really throwing in like a whole nother like element that I kind of didn't expect in this story. We were already, but I guess we were already dealing with fighting dinosaurs. So uh, <laughs> it was already a little weird, but, uh, but it was also a lot. It felt like a very linear, well put together story that was easy to follow and easy to uh kind of go through with you know them following knowing where the Kane's horde was going mm-hmm. and trying to cut them off and trying to it felt like a very flushed out story that I uh, enjoyed a little bit more than the first half of this of this run um you know they could have been anything but they ended up being they were vampires but the, you could have had this horde of Kane's army being being anything and it still would have worked pretty well you know no matter what but um, I, I did enjoy kind of getting the band back together and Al Jabbar kind of being the the Charlie uh, of the Angels. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things is in the New Fifty Two, of course, there was a greater emphasis on vampires. In fact, it wasn't one of the, I, think, I, I remember I, one of the first New Fifty Two uh, yeah. books was I Vampire, and it yep. probably had been canceled by the time That's you true. know Demon Knights made it to issue uh, sixteen. So maybe they were trying to want to keep that idea someplace in the forefront of DC because they had bigger plans at the time. Um, but uh, and they I, I don't like vampires. I mean, even yeah. now they've got DC versus vampires. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that they have uh, the antagonist in this, this arc is Kane. I was getting ready to comment on that. <laughs> and, and you, you were going to talk about the Vandal Savage. Uh, no, I was going to talk about Kane as in House of mystery. Secrets or Mystery Kane. Oh, oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think mine's less impressive or whatever. It's just I know that in one of the um, one of the storylines with Vandal Savage in probably the 2000s, it was indicated, or maybe it was in DC Rebirth, so like even only a few years ago, he was the inspiration for the actual mythical character of Kane. So okay. there, so I wondered when I seen or heard you guys talk about Kane, I wondered if there was something in the story that connected those two characters. Well, Not that I remember according to Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, vampires trace their lineage to the biblical Kane after being exiled from paradise and cursed with the mark of Kane for killing his brother, Abel, Cain wandered the vast desert until he came across the first woman, Lilith. Consumed with bloodlust, he turned her out of sheer... He he turned her out of sheer instinct. I don't know. Evidently, there's some some weird offshoot of the Bible that oh, has to do with okay. vampires and Cain. Uh-huh. A lot of Cain yeah, going... A lot of, there's a lot of Gnostic texts that are related to and pseudepigraphal. Um, um, 
Those are big words. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> Gnostic just means hidden knowledge. Yeah. And pseudepigraphal just means it's a, it's like if I were to, like somebody has written a quote unquote biography of, oh gosh, and now I just forgot the character, the guy's name. Um, if you write a biography and say it's by somebody, but oh, it wasn't okay. actually the somebody who wrote it, it's pseudepigraphal. Uh, so, oh, so, yeah, yeah. So if I were to write a biography of Joe Biden, okay, and produce that, and people suddenly thought this was Joe Biden, would it would be pseudepigraphal? Yes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're uh, an educational show. Also, that's right. That's right. We got those five cent words. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I was just going to mention, I thought it was odd that they chose to use the name Kane because Kane is so tied to House of Mystery, House of right. Secrets. Exactly. Yeah. Not that you can't have two characters named Kane, but um, I, they, I guess they wanted to tie back, you know, in a yeah. different way. So I just wonder if there are some of their original intentions, because I don't know if they were doing anything with Kane or Abel during no, the New 52. I think so. that they were they were not touching the Sandman universe at all at that point, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you know, that's a point where Vertigo would have been still around but separate. Mm-hmm. So right, yeah. All right. Anything else, uh, Shad? You want to add about sixteen and nineteen? Nope. Nope. Okay. Did I mention the zero issue? Whatever we talked about the previous set. Mm, I don't know. I, okay. So. It, okay. Just... Issue zero was actually printed between issues twelve and thirteen. All right, and it just gives us an origin of Jason Blood and Etrigan. So. Just little fill in the blanks. DC did a zero month or zero issue month, I think. Yeah. And and that happened for all the titles. So um, all of them would have at their 13 issue got a zero issue instead. So, all right. And then the wrap up to the series, which was issues 20 to 23. All right. In the final adventure for the Demon Knights, they travel, battle monsters, fight amongst themselves and search for the Holy Grail to uh, restore Yiston. Uh, the Knights recover the Grail and return to Alawadi. The Grail is able to heal uh, Yiston along with the Horsewoman. However, the healing effects of the Grail are much too far- powerful, and the Grail's power is actually offset by that black diamond that Exoristas had been carrying and protecting for the prior 30 years. Um, during their escape from their adventure, Vandal Savage was actually captured by a group of giants. So now we see that this captured Vandal Savage has basically uh, revealed the location of the Grail uh, to the giants. So there's this uh, band of giants that is attacking Al-Wadi. Um, the attack is ultimately repelled. The Grail and the Black Diamond are left with Al-Jabbar. Uh, and the Demonites ride off for more adventures that unfortunately never happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know because this this felt like the like my is my favorite kind of arc. Like I felt like it's the most like has a lot of adventure. It has some historical stuff in it. It mm. has the betrayal of like you know, Vandal Savage is just like not a good dude, and mm-hmm. it just and it has giants and it has a return to Al Jabbar and it, it just like it has all of these really cool elements in trying to save the uh, you know Yiston mm-hmm. and uh, through and I was just like oh like this this feels like the 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 i didn't really care for the first story arc the second story arc was like okay we're getting our footing the third story arc was about vampires which was kind of weird and then this one was just like oh this is flushed (laughs) out and it feels really good and then it's over and there's no (laughs) yeah it was it was i did think i i didn't put it in there but one of the scenes that was kind of funny was um uh 
Vandal Savage and Etrigan are left to fight these giants, and and uh, Vandal Savage he says something to Etrigan who's going to change forms and and bring Jason Blood back in in place of Etrigan, and when he does. Jason Blood doesn't show up. He's like, he's just like, yes, he just yeah. vanished. And Vandal Savage is like, I need to find more reliable traveling companions <laughs> <laughs> before he gets stepped on by a giant. So yes, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't have anything else to add about that uh, particular thing, other than I did like the fact that not every single story was six issues. Yeah. You know, so that they could do six issues in a trade. If he, if the writers wanted seven issues to tell the story, they took seven issues. Mm-hmm. If they finished it in four issues, like the last story arc, they used four issues. You know, right. um, so it was it was good not to have that cookie cutter. We gotta stretch it or shrink it, condense it to make it fit into six issues. Um, so that that was a nice change. I felt like you right. got a more complete story that way. I'm sure that, uh, you know, their packaging volume three is, is like 11 issues it, when it's, you know, chalked up to volume one, two and three. It's like that's a, a hefty volume three out of it all. But I'm sure if uh, it wasn't canceled, they would have chopped that up a little differently, maybe. Yeah, I would I would say because I kind of <laughs> felt like there was a break, you know, 16 to 19 was kind of its own story. Yeah. You know, and 20 to 24 was its own story. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, all right. Well, um, I don't know. Mike, you got any final thoughts on what you've read of this? Yes, and it is. Change, change the form of man. Free the <laughs> prince forever damned. Free the might from fleshy mire. Boil the blood in heart of fire. Gone, gone the form of man. Rise the demon Etrigan. They shortened that because I know that they one had to yeah. like every single time and every no, single no, issue, I think it's every, mostly the the yeah. important part is gone gone the form of form man, man. rises yeah right yeah yes <laughs> he probably got tired of saying it. he's like man this is taking me forever yeah. or it's like Green Lantern trying to charge his ring I'm like yes. okay let me do this shortened yeah. abridged version no it's it's <laughs> probably the letterer going okay enough is enough <laughs> you know A dot 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 we get it <laughs> yeah. yeah dot 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 <laughs> a better a better uh, Somebody who can actually read poetry can make it sound pretty cool, I think. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, Chad, any last thoughts on Demon I, Knights? I think all I right. gave them all, yep. All right, Mike, do you plan to finish the story? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yep, I, uh, I've got, I mean, it's on my iPad right now. And uh, I, I mean, I, I get through two or three issues at a time. And yeah, I think I'll be done with it within a week. Okay. All right, so I guess uh, grades then. You wanna okay. you wanna grade it, Chad? Go right ahead. Yeah, um, I'd give it a, a seven point five, a very fine minus. I there were parts I really liked and I would have gave a, a much higher score, and there are parts I I didn't like and I would have gave a lower score. So that was kind of my my balanced out average score <laughs> for the story. I, well, I'm I'm a little different than you guys on this, I guess, because I'm overall I'm at this this story as the whole series is a very fine plus. I actually kind of like the first 15 issues a little bit more than the last mm. set of issues. So I kind of think the first 15 are more like a nine, very fine slash near mint nine oh. The last few are closer to like a, just a very fine, like an eight, you know, maybe even a very fine minus seven point five. I still enjoyed them. Yeah. Um, so but, you know, overall, I'd. I'd still like this series. I wish it would have continued. Or I wish DC would, you know, 
they're throwing everything else at the wall. Why not bring this back? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think any of these characters are doing anything currently. No, I don't think so either. So. Yeah, there's so many characters out there that aren't being used. It's it's a shame. I I can't really give a good. I mean, my you can grade, grade is the first be, twelve. Yeah, I'll my grade will be based on the first twelve, and I'll give it a. It's going to be the average between. Well, it'll be more on the high side of the average. I mean, if you ask me the first arc story arc, I'd probably say a six, maybe a five five, but then it got up around the eight ish area. So I'm going to give it a seven five as well. Um, for the first 12 issues and i don't really see it roller coastering i think it's going to keep going up for me all right so how about black panther how about Wanda it forever <laughs> all right so let's just real quick uh, of course spoilers right and as as always is the case i'm just going to go through the uh, plot here from hey wikipedia the uh, word sponsored. of the day the word of the day so <laughs> maybe one of us does need to spend send those two dollars to go wikipedia. donate to wikipedia yeah that they keep they keep asking for <laughs> <clears throat> so uh t'challa king of wakanda is dying from an illness which his sister shuri believes can be cured by the heart-shaped herb shuri attempts to synthetically recreate the herb after it was destroyed by eric killmonger but fails to do so before t'challa succumbs one year later, Wakanda is under pressure from other nations to share their vibranium, with some parties attempting to steal it by force. Queen Ramonda implores Shuri to continue her research on the heart-shaped herb, hoping to create a new Black Panther that will defend Wakanda, but she refuses due to her belief that the Black Panther is a figure of the past. In the Atlantic Ocean, the CIA and U.S. Navy SEALs utilize a vibranium-detecting machine to locate a potential vibranium deposit underwater. The expedition is attacked and killed by a group of blue-skinned, water-breathing superhumans led by Namor, with the CIA believing Wakanda to be responsible. Uh, Namor confronts Ramonda and Shuri, easily bypassing Wakanda's advanced security. Blaming Wakanda for the vibranium race, he gives them an ultimatum, deliver him the scientist responsible for the vibranium-detecting machine, or he will attack Wakanda. Shuri and Okoye learn from CIA agent Everett K. Ross that the scientist in question is MIT student Riri Williams and arrive at the university to confront her. The group is pursued by the FBI and then by Namor's warriors who defeat Okoye before taking Shuri and Williams underwater to meet Namor. Angered by Okoye's failure to protect Shuri, Ramonda strips her of her title as general of the Dora Milaje and seeks out Nakia, who has been living in Haiti since the blip. Namor shows Shuri his vibranium-rich underwater kingdom of Talokan, which he has protected for centuries from discovery by the world. Bitter at the surface world for enslaving the Maya, Namor proposes an alliance with Wakanda against the rest of the world, but threatens to destroy Wakanda if they refuse. Nakia helps Shuri and Williams escape, and Namor retaliates with an attack against Wakanda, during which Ramonda drowns, saving Williams. Namor vows to return with his full army, and the citizens of Wakanda relocate to the Jabari Mountains for their safety. Meanwhile, Ross is arrested by his ex-wife, CIA Director Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, for secretly exchanging classified intelligence with the Wakandas. Let's take a break there and talk about the first roughly half of the movie. So, I don't know, initial thoughts, what, we've, what I've mentioned here in the, the plot synopsis so far. I didn't realize that... Uh that valentina was ross's ex-wife i is that like a was that in was that like in the story is that is yes. that is that was that in the in, movie is that, that was, in canon also or 
Uh, like for the comics? For the comics, no. Okay. For the for the movie, obviously, it's yes. for the MCU. Yeah. To my yeah. knowledge, no, there's there's no relationship between Ross and Dave Fontaine. And Dave Fontaine is usually um, a, a significant other for Nick Fury, the original okay. Nick Fury. Gotcha. And is Everett Ross related to Thunderbolt Ross? I don't that think all? so. Okay, I don't, I don't a... think there's any relation there, yeah. Because Everett Ross was created, I think, by Christopher Priest, actually in an issue of Kazar. Oh, okay. And uh, then becomes the the viewpoint for the reader in the Christopher Priest run of Black Panther. Uh-huh. Okay. Name, gotcha. Named after Will Everett, wasn't he? Not Will right. Everett. Oh, my gosh. Will Everett. Oh, my gosh. I'm totally mixing. Um, who's the co-creator of Bill Everett? Bill Everett. Maybe. Yeah, I think he's named after Bill. Will Everett is a character. He's called Amazing Man oh. in DC, <laughs> who was created. Roy Thomas named him mm-hmm. or, as an homage to Bill Everett. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that I don't know. So, I, I know that there was a lot of negativity about um, Namor not being from Atlantis, right? And I still say that is because the general movie-going audience does not know comic history and they don't understand that namor pre-existed aquaman right and that namor was from atlantis before aquaman was from atlantis um and because more people have seen the aquaman movie than have ever read a namor comic book um they probably felt obligated to make some changes to the character so of course the more um aztec uh origin in appearance and then the changing of the name um, from Atlantis to Talacon, I think was was necessary. And I didn't bother me because um, I felt like we got a relatively true to the idea of the comic Namor. So I, yeah. I was OK with that. And is and is Talacon created specifically for the MCU, the movie universe, or did Talacon exist prior to? This? I, I think it's just created. It's yeah, it's based off of Aztec mythology. Okay. So I don't I I beyond that I don't know anything about it. Gotcha. And okay. I'm making an assumption that it's based off of Aztec mythology. Or Mayan. Mythology. I was or saying, Mayan? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you got Olmec, you got Mayan. I did the cultures are I mean, they're just in different eras in the same location, mm-hmm. you know, in the Mesoamerica. And then were the I just have a bunch of questions about the history of Namor that's, because I don't okay. know. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's good. Were the people blue always like was it, were Namor's people the the Atlanteans blue in the comics? As long as I every single appearance of anybody besides Namor or Namorita who was mm-hmm. Atlantean is blue skinned. So okay. you have like Atuma and Lita and. You know, just your typical warriors, they're all they're all generally blue skinned. OK, so, yeah. So that's that is normal because Namor is was a half breed, half yes. human, half um, Atlantean. Uh, that's why he has the um, kind of white tan peach, skin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, peach skin. Um, OK. You know, and then of I course that was if it wasn't, it was a weird choice for coming out so closely to avatar, but yeah, but if, if it was, if it was <laughs> no. meant to be blue, then it's good that it's blue. No. Yeah, it is. It is. That is pulled directly from the, <laughs> from the comics. So, um, 
anything else specifically to the first half of the movie you guys want to talk about? I mean, my, I mean, I have more general thoughts than just breaking up the movie in pieces, but okay. uh, I did well, enjoy I, the first half. It was, okay. it, it seemed to, it seemed to do what it set out to do. Well, then let's just finish. There's only like three little paragraphs here left for the rest of the film, and then we can just talk about whatever we want to talk about. So, um, after Ramonda's funeral, Shuri uses a remnant of the herb that gave Namor's people their superhuman abilities to reconstruct the heart-shaped herb. She ingests it, gaining superhuman abilities and meeting Killmonger in the ancestral plane, who urges her to seek revenge. Uh, Shuri dons a new Black Panther suit and is accepted by the other Wakandan tribes as the Black Panther. Despite M'Baku's urges for peace, Shuri is determined to exact vengeance on Namor for Ramonda's death and orders an immediate counterattack on Talakon. Uh, preparing for battle with Ayo, assuming the position of general of the Dora Milaje, Shuri bestows the Midnight Angel armor upon Okoye, who in turn recruits Dora Milaje member Anika to join her. Williams creates an Iron Man-esque powered exoskeleton to aid the Wakandans. Using a seafaring vessel, the Wakandans lure Namor and his warriors to the surface as a battle ensues. Shuri traps Namor in a fighter aircraft, intending to dry him out and weaken him. The pair crashes on a beach and fight. Shuri gains the upper hand, but realizes the similarities between their paths and implores Namor to yield, offering him a peaceful alliance. Namor accepts and the battle ends. Namor's cousin, Namora, is upset at Namor's surrender, but he assures her that the new alliance will allow them to conquer the surface world one day. Williams returns to MIT, leaving her suit behind, while Okoye rescues Ross from captivity. Shuri plants more heart-shaped herbs to ensure the future of the Black Panther mantle. In Shuri's absence, M'Baku steps forward to challenge for the throne. Shuri visits Nakia in, in Haiti, where she burns her funeral ceremonial robe in accordance with Ramonda's wishes, allowing herself to finally grieve T'Challa. In a mid credit scene, Shuri learns that Nakia and T'Challa had a son named Toussaint, whom Nakia has been raising in secret. Toussaint reveals his Wakandan name is T'Challa, son of Prince T'Challa, etc., etc. Okay, of course, the big thing that we haven't even mentioned is uh, Chadwick Boseman's presence was sorely missed uh, mm. in, in this movie. Um, and they do take, you know, they change the opening credits. Mm -hmm. um, they have, a, you know, a very elaborate, uh, you know, uh, burial sequence uh, for T'Challa at the beginning. And that's, of course, they, there was a mention of the, the uh, robes um, there. So those uh, being burned as well. So that's all kind of part of the uh, mourning process for uh, Wakandans. Um, but yeah, Chadwick Boseman seriously missed which also led to if i got a big negative about this movie is that they had to take a step backwards to undo some of the stuff they did in the first movie so that they could take two steps forward to move forward with the story you know okay we had to spend time you know covering what happened to uh t'challa we had to spend time recreating the heart-shaped herb we had to you know do all this stuff yeah so that we could then move forward with the story which, you know, one, it made the movie longer than it maybe needed to be. Um, it also, you know, again, just didn't it wasn't moving things forward, just trying to get to where we could, you know, tell the story that we needed to tell at this time. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's it's clear that they they made the best movie they could make mm -hmm. 
in with the situation that they had with Chadwick Boseman's passing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's I mean, they I just think that they I could just see right now that originally if they when they first conceived of this movie, they probably could they probably had two kings facing off. Both of these mm-hmm. kings had nations that had been you know, uh, colonized or been affected by colonization. Well, and, neither, uh, well, neither one of them had really been cause Wakanda has never been conquered. And, not, yeah. Not, I mean, colonized, yeah. but that whole aspect of colonization, that was, mm-hmm. that was a theme that kept coming back. So you could yeah. see that being a, a common, a commonality between the Kings. And, but then with, with him passing, you know, they had to, like you said, they had to take some steps backwards, rewind a little bit mm-hmm. to take it forward, uh, farther. And, and you're right. There are some things that they did. I don't think they needed to have the Contessa. They didn't need Julia Lewis Drivers in this movie at all. No. You didn't probably didn't need Everett Ross. Um, I think if you just had the basic story beats of Namor and and uh, Shuri taking the mantle, mm-hmm. I think would have been enough. But it was only maybe 20 minutes too long for that. Yeah. So yeah. it's still not wasn't detrimental. No, no. Yeah, they really, I mean, even, and I say this only because I didn't really like the suit, but they didn't really need the Ironheart spin of the well, story. Well, the other extraneous that I don't think they needed that either. Yeah, it could have easily been cut and just been somebody in, you know, in part of the government that made that thing and they punish the person and move on. It could have still thing. been Rory Williams. They introduced the character because so, she's going to show up in what series? She's showing she's got up her own show, right? Uh, yeah, she got her own show, so they could have just introduced her really, really briefly. Saw the suit of armor sitting yes. in the background. Yeah, maybe just and more of a nugget than an actual point. storyline. Need to be in Wakanda. Line. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was that. over. It's. <laughs> I heard somebody say in a podcast they called it. It was like there was like a hat on top of a hat on top of a hat. They just <laughs> yeah. you were like <laughs> adorning all of these things with more adornment, and you didn't need to. Um, but again, these are all minor quibbles with oh, yeah. an overall really yeah. good movie. Because by the end of the movie, you had how many people in suits at that point? Like, yeah. you've got <laughs> oh yeah the I two Dormelage yeah. that are Midnight Angels. Now you've got yeah. you've got the new Black Panther. You've mm-hmm. got you've got Iron Heart, and mm-hmm. uh, it feels like there's somebody else. Maybe I'm missing. It. It's just like wow, this is just a a bunch of good guys in suits now, yeah. and and it feels like I a, thought this was Black Panther, not Iron Man, <laughs> right? <laughs> or Iron oh, and, Women, maybe should. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't I I wish they would have kept closer to the Ironheart suit because that that big red blob of a suit that they made was just not not my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, her very first suit is very bulky and and reminiscent of you know the, the yeah, suit I guess, armor yeah. from you know, tells us to spend 39, the first or even the first Iron Man movie. You yeah. Know, so, yeah. Another scene you didn't probably need, I guess it didn't hurt too much, but, um, the war or the, um, yeah. Warmonger, Michael B. Jordan, um, Killmonger. Yeah. Killmonger. Sorry. Um, it just felt like he was just a plot device to, okay. I, you know, I can, I can see what you're saying there, but I also, in a way it kind of was important, I think to the movie because, Shuri goes to the ancestral plane and every single black Panther who takes the heart shaped herb goes to the ancestral plane and meets mm-hmm. one of their ancestors. And she was expecting to see T'Challa. And because her heart was more about vengeance, mm-hmm. yeah, that is why. And I think that was there to 
explain what was going on with Shuri if yeah. it wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. Somebody who was watching the movie, what her actual motivation was, and how she was being more like him than being like T'Challa, which I think was key in changing her mindset as yes. the movie moved forward. So yeah, it was definitely it, it that that part for me helped you know, her see her change on that the island where her and Namor are fighting towards the end of the movie is like. Okay, is she gonna make the 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 Killmonger decision, or is she gonna make the T'Challa decision? Now, I I will talk about the couple of things that really, really bothered me. <laughs> the first is they kind of turned Namor into the Super Friends Aquaman, where if he's out of water too long, he gets weaker and weaker and weaker and can't you know fight anything. So. Mm. You know, it's just like that. You know, it's kind of like even like in going back to the new 52, like that first episode or issue of Aquaman, where he's talking about people joking about him being away from water and, you know, what good are your powers in New York City and and all that type of stuff. So I, I wish they could have come up with a more uh, a different way to have defeated Namor uh, than, oh, we dried him out. Um, and then, <laughs> that's weird because I actually felt that was one of my best scenes when he's <laughs> trapped inside the ship. And he yeah. can't get to water. I thought that was well played, but I mean, I thought he, I mean, as a character, I thought Namor was cool looking. I mean, and no, it, it, I, I yeah. loved his look. I just wish that they could have given him either make him yeah. not quite as strong and powerful. Yeah. Maybe they or, need to do it at the front end because they had to come up with this other weird weakness mm-hmm. because he was a God. Like they were talking about, he's not, he's beyond mm-hmm. being a man. He's are a super powered man. He is a God, a Kukulkan is what, yeah. Yeah. So that that kind of bothered me a little bit. Again, it was super friends, you know, as opposed to it's just the Aquaman angle. Yeah. And then I and our Ramonda, Queen Ramonda or Angela Bassett's uh, death was completely ridiculous. You know, she literally swims up, what, 50 feet, taking Rory Williams uh, with her, saves Rory, pulls Rory out of the water. Right. And is even out of the water herself, but she's dead because I guess she drowned, uh, you know, have something else happen. Uh, you know, that was just, yeah, you're was, right. I totally forgot end, about that. A terrible yeah. end for that character. It should have been, I'm, I guess you could say it was a sacrifice, but you didn't, you didn't really see the sacrifice. Yeah. You didn't see the end of it. She just, I, I don't know, hyperthermia, whatever it was, she drowned. I don't know. It just didn't seem like a, the end that that character deserved to me. Yeah. So. The drowning thing, it's, you're right. It, it's, it's not always played well. I think even in black Adam, one of us had that comment that there's no way he could have swam. It might've been you, Scott. Uh, he, there's no way he could have swam in those frigid. He was a human at the time. We're talking about black. No, Adam. I think it was Shad that had that. Had that okay. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he could go swim through those frigid Arctic waters and survive it, and you know whatever. But, but it it, it was similar in this that, you know, if you're gonna drown, you would have drowned underwater. You don't drown above water. Above water. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, she was fully out of the water, even turned upside down. I it, it just it just bothered me. <laughs> yeah. They should have done a little bit better there with that. Um. Uh, Letitia Wright and Angela Bassett, other than her death scene, which wasn't any her acting, right, were awesome. They carried yeah. this movie. Um, they yep. were outstanding. Uh, both should get at least nominations, right, for uh, 
best actress and and or best supporting actress out there. I don't know who would be best actress and who would be best supporting. Maybe they. I'd say Letitia's probably it would be would have been the a, a main and then yeah yeah. yeah. But yeah, she, they, I think her acting was fantastic too. Absolutely, and I mean, she was so good in the first man. one, so oh, yeah. I didn't expect any more, any any less out of her. But mm-hmm. gosh, she she really did it. And as much as I loved, what was the Dormalaji, uh, the main, the general? What's her name? Uh, Okoye. Okoye. Now, Scott, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this yet, but it was like the one forced joke that I just cringed at, and that's the makeup joke. You know, oh, they were. Wow. They were standing in the parking lot, look wait at the college campus, waiting for Riri, and she's talking about what, what, my makeup, you know, and they both got these shades on, and yeah. I don't know, it just kind of flopped. <laughs> I get well, okay, it still is better than any attempts of humor that they had inside of Thor: Love and Thunder, so <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't nonstop through the entire movie. So, and you know, I feel that this is a sign of a good movie when all we can really talk about is these little nitpicks because, right. oh, yeah, it's yeah. it's Absolutely. when, when uh, to me a sign of a good movie is that you you just don't even sometimes it's hard to articulate what mm-hmm. made it good for you. You just enjoyed it, yeah. And if you try to articulate it, you start deconstructing it. Then, then it becomes less of an experience and more of a an exercise. Um, okay, so here's this is one question that I left the theater with in my head is when the next when the Black Panther shows up again, who's the Black Panther? Because his Shuri left it behind, right? They were going to go through the ceremony where somebody can challenge to become the Black Panther. So if Shuri was the Black Panther, which I think was pretty clear in the movie, right. she wasn't there for the challenge. M'Baku shows up to challenge for the Black Panther. So is M'Baku going to be the Black Panther? Is Shuri going to be the Black Panther? Are we going to have two Black Panthers? You know, moving forward, I, it wasn't clear to me. Or they're so, going to time jump it so that T'Challa, the new that's T'Challa, it. is the Black Panther. They're, they're going to time jump it, I really believe. They're going to go to the not just the son of T'Challa, I think you're going to have a whole new young Avengers that are going to be the the spawn of the Avengers. You got Love <laughs> from Love and Thunder. You got from the whole Hulkling. He's not really the Hulkling. He's kind of whatever they called him on there. Well, he's um, a Kree scroll. Um, yeah. Uh, hybrid yeah. in the but comics. Yeah, yeah right, right. Mm-hmm. But there's, I just feel like they're kind of laying the groundwork for maybe something with the the legacy and i i'm okay with that i mean that's something least different than the dc universe is that maybe the marvel entertainment universe is going to or mcu is going to try to hand off pass the baton to the next generations whether it be you know their actual children or just inheritors of the the mantles we'll see i i I find that it to be interesting. It's kind of a, a challenge, but I kind of got to give them credit for thinking ahead that far. And maybe they do. Maybe it's 12 years. Maybe we'll really be <laughs> – maybe maybe we go through the – because he's still got the actual – you got the, the you know, the protégés out there like, you know uh, – um, The Hawkeyes. Hawkeyes and mm-hmm. the, you know, you got the Riri Williams. So they're mm-hmm. like already of age. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe this is the third generation. We're already, you know, we're starting to see the the hints. They're of. trying to plant the seeds already. That's true. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I under I kind of thought 
that, and I don't know the rules, but can M'Baku be the king of Wakanda without being the Black Panther? And I well, traditionally, I I took it to be that the Black Panther was the king. If you had the mantle of the Black okay. Panther, you were the king. Gotcha. Yeah. So because it was T'Ch- it was T'Chaka before T'Challa. Yeah. And he, yeah. Now because because there was no heart shaped herb for there to be a there was no more Black Panther after yeah. T'Challa. That's why we had Queen Ramonda. Right. But now that the heart shaped herb was restored. They were going to go back to the, I assume they're going to go back to the old ways, but I got you. Cause I was thinking, well, M'Baku would of course be the king of Wakanda. <laughs> and then Shuri would of course be the black Panther was how I left it in my brain oh, as the movie yeah. ended. That was the like, and, and we, you're right. We may never see, we may not see these characters for another decade yeah. uh, in their own standalone movie, but <laughs> you know, iron heart, we might see Shuri as black Panther in, in that. And we might see them kind of pick up as little, pieces as things come together and then all of a sudden it's we don't realize 10 years has passed and all of a sudden mm-hmm. we've got a of age t'challa that can now take the 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 black panther mantle mm-hmm. yeah i i expect to see another black panther movie in about three years mm. so i think you know they'll age them up i i well i don't know that or maybe they will have that is the one where they're teaching the new t'challa how to be a king yeah, and how they're going to, at some point in the future, take on this mantle. So it will be, you know, that type of a storyline. I think you're right. I think there will be something sooner rather than later, another Black mm-hmm. Panther film, because this is a culturally important movie mm-hmm. franchise. That's true. Absolutely. And more than any other that I can think of offhand. So yeah. I see this having a lot of momentum. And I, and I want this. I want the Black Panther continue just because of the fact I want some comic book heroes that they're going to put on the big screen that they're not putting up there just to make fun of, you know, right. and yeah. this, this is a character that they will not be able to no. uh, poke fun at like they have with Thor and, and right. some of the others. You know? What's uh Prince T'Challa and are you clocking him at what? Eight years old? Or, I thought it was seven. I think it was seven. Okay. Seven. Yeah. They said yeah. even, okay. Yeah. It's how I, well, the age that I put him at, cause we okay. had the, you know, it was pre blip. Yeah. And, you know, so five you know, years plus plus, uh, you know, a couple of years prior. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's around seven, but I'd have to double check. That. What do you guys think about that last scene, though? I mean, I'm not talking about the mid credit scene, but the last scene itself as being. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was so different than what we're used to. And it just was more of a just a touchy moment with her. You know, she burnt the funeral garments and. um it was her just uh i don't know it just it just it just seemed like a really important moment and it was a better ending than what i've seen a lot of these movies mhm absolutely you could have had that you could have gone without even having the mid credit scene except you really do need if they're wanting to introduce the next mm-hmm. t'challa you needed it but that ending was really good well i think it just puts some nice closure on Chadwick Boseman, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, because you know they had the whole funeral thing at the beginning, and then Shuri didn't come to terms with it until the end of the movie. Yeah. So that kind of you know really just kind of wrapped things up, and, yeah. and I really think it was as much for not only for T'Challa but for Ramona, yeah. her mother as well, oh, all yeah. in, all at kind mm-hmm. of once, yeah, you know. 
So well, and I I thought it was it's a very unique movie in that it's a it's a a movie about mourning and bookend by two by big mourning scenes, but not mm-hmm. just for a character, but for the actor themselves. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't know if there's been many, if any, movies that have been honoring not just a character they've ended, but the actor as well. And mm-hmm. and I thought that was was yeah. really neat the way they did that. And I also did appreciate no CGI Chadwick Boseman to try yes. to mm-hmm, pull absolutely. some type of closure on this. They, they, yeah, I, I appreciated that. So agreed. Uh, I don't think I really have any other notes um, on this one other than, than that. Are, so are we going to see Namor anywhere else soon? I hope so. I do too, man. Yeah. I'm, this is a universe that's not been really, this is, there's a lot to explore yet. This is an he's a an anti-hero if there ever was mm-hmm. one. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe the original when it comes to comics. Yeah. Um. So have you I, ever read his first appearance? No, I actually do have it though. Mm-hmm. It's and, very um, it's very yeah. crazy because like because what is this 1940 right? So yeah, uh, or maybe 41, 39. 39. Okay, I didn't I didn't want to go 39. I know that's a Superman year. But um, that's that's the Batman year. Thirty eight Superman. Oh, OK. All right. So, I mean, he is he is Namor is literally like finding German subs and learning yeah. about the surface people. And when he opens up their sub and pulls them out into the water, he doesn't understand that why they're dying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's pulling them out of their sub and it's like, oh, they must be. you know, Yeah. Yeah. What is. Oh, gosh. I just because I bought uh, like a hardcover edition of Marvel well, Comics. Marvel number Comics number one. Yeah, that's yeah. what I have. That's what I have. Yeah. I just need to I need to get that out and read it then. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I remember I, I, we definitely need to see. But it's I don't know where he fits in with this upcoming phase because everything yeah. else is kind of, you know, Kang. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where yeah. to plug him into that. So I'm I'm not for I'm not for sure. So. I hope Kang is more menacing than what he was in Loki. He will be. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you, have you not seen the quantum mania uh, trailer yet? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, there's well, not enough there, there to convince me. Yeah. yeah. But he's definitely more menacing than he was in the, at the end of Loki. So yeah. Cause he's not okay. technically King and Loki, right? True. He's a, it's a, a variant it's a different I, version. It's a variant. I take him as a variant of Kang. Yeah. So yeah. he's Kang that was on a different path. He's not bad guy. He's not super bad. Not he's not super bad guy Kang. Yeah, he's not bad guy Kang. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of, you know, insane Kang or yeah. not there Kang. So, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Grades? I'll go first. Eight, five. Okay. Okay. That justifies it. Then I was just teeter-tottering between eight, five, and nine. And uh, so I'll, I'll go eight, five. Okay, I I actually am eight five as well. Hey, because my again my fa- my number one Marvel movie is Winter Soldier. I usually say that's a nine two. I have the first Black Panther at a nine zero, and I've got this at an eight five. So um, it just because of the step backward. That's why you know if we didn't have to take that step backwards, you know, and take time telling that, then this would have been an even stronger movie. Yeah. Um, and it could have even rivaled uh, winter soldier, but because of that step backwards to move forward, it just kind of slowed things down a little bit. Yeah. It wasn't quite as good. So, but still awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I need to, I haven't taken the time to watch it a second time yet, but I need to do that soon. So. It, I, I don't know when, but it should be on Disney plus within the next month or so. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> shouldn't be shouldn't be too terribly long, but 
Um, all right, we want a CLZ shake. Shake it. Shake yeah. it. Who, who wants to go first? Is everybody ready? Shad, you're ready. You go. I can go. Uh, oh, I, t- I hit the volume. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Uh, full, full bleed? Full. Oh, full bleed. The Comics and Culture Quarterly hardcover. Uh, this is uh, from IDW. Um, they did, I feel like they did some sort of like Kickstarter or something for this. And this is the first volume that came out. They did four volumes. This came out in 2018. Um, they did print only. There was no digital version. 200-page hardcover kind of magazine. Um, and it had you know, just a bunch of one-shots. It had some some articles, some spotlights on artists. It was a, a really cool thing. Uh, but like I said, they only did four of them. Their quarterly only got out of one year uh, before I think they didn't get enough buy-in for it because it was kind of a pricey, as you can imagine, a hardcover 200-page yeah. book was was uh didn't catch on super well but i one of these days i'll get the rest of them i I just bought the first one when it first came out and that was it all right mike you want to go you want me to go you go ahead okay let's see if i can get that where it can be oh okay well this was an easy book to talk about right so we've got uh (laughs) watchman uh this is issue number eight but of course i think everybody knows the the story behind watchman so yeah i have the Whole Watchmen series. This is the specific issue where Night Owl and Lori step up their timetable, breaking Rorschach out of prison during a riot before they can regroup and head back uh, into the field. Both Dr. Manhattan and the police arrive to deal with the vigilantes. So, you know, Alan Moore, who, of course, has disassociated himself uh, from this story, and Dave Gibbons, uh, just an awesome, awesome book. Uh, anybody anybody who's into comics has to needs to read this this series if you haven't right it's evergreen you can always find it in print because mm-hmm. dc doesn't want the rights to revert back to alan moore <laughs> so they will oh my always, gosh yeah so they will always have this in print um and uh just yeah outstanding so hey one that i could actually talk about <laughs> it wasn't silver surfer or micronauts or wrong <laughs> or star wars <laughs> okay can't read it Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. All right. All right. Birds of Prey, Volume 1, Issue 79. So this is later on in that run. Uh, The writer is Gail Simone, who just did a magnificent job. Um, And the art was by Ed Bennis, who was kind of known for his kind of good girlish type drawing. Um, But still a really good series. And by this time, they had Birds of Prey expanded beyond uh black canary and uh oracle and included uh huntress and thorn from rose and thorn and uh yeah this was in 2005 and i've got i think the entire run why i don't know i could probably get it on digital if i wanted to so um but this is a it's a really good just a good good book a good series to sit down and read and have fun reading it all right. So, Shad, do you know what's coming up next? Previews. <laughs> Previews. Okay. All right. <laughs> and if I can get my act together and get these episodes out in the correct order, then <laughs> we'll do the previews. <laughs> we'll actually be 150. 150. Okay. Yes. All right. Yep. Okay. 
So absolutely. Um, all right. Yeah. So Shad, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, and of course, I think you got some band change news. You do have a little well. bit of news. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna let everyone know. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook at Shad Schubert. That's S H A A D S C H U B E R T, and check out my band, formerly known as the Can't Get Rights. <laughs> uh, uh, different name, but uh, same, same fun time. We are now just known as Shad and Thomas, which is the name of both of our names. Uh, it seemed a little simpler that way. And, uh, so yeah, it's worked out. We already have a show booked because of the, the announcement of the band change. Uh, we've got a, we've got a show on, I don't know when this will come out, but January 6th and January 7th. Uh, so check out our page, uh, for locations, times and all that good stuff. All right, Mike. Cool. Uh, uh email wise, it's m.atchison. That's m.atchison90 at gmail.com. And then I still get on twitter once in a while i don't put out a whole lot but i am there if anybody wants to reach out at mike atchison five and i'm scott reed you can find me at berg comics.com b-u-r-g comics.com with links to my uh, social media pages ebay store and other contact information and we'll be back soon with previews Convoluted uh, intro where um, I was going to introduce myself to Scott Jason Blood Ree, who occasionally turns into the demon when let Mike say his name. <laughs> not to be part of a love triangle, including. <laughs> but I opted, I opted not to. Uh, not to do I like that I'm Zana doing this. <laughs> yeah, I do well. <laughs> Would you rather be the demon Entrigan or the cuckold uh, Jason Blood? <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I have that in my notes or something. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. I, what's bad is I was flipping back through it today. It's like, they actually use that in the story, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that now. I remember because I was I was shocked to to read that in the book. I was like, oh, well, it's a Shakespearean word, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs>